Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Sarah, I'm back from traveling. Like we're we're together again. Hi audience, how are you? <laughs> you know, so I I don't really know what I did in the last week. Like if I I know that my car is still in the body shop and we are still trying to live in uh, the suburbs with no public transit as a family of four with one car right now. So like that's been my whole week. And it's just to me like the idea of like traveling for a conference just seems like it's 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 just so sideways compared to what my life has been this past week of just just try just just keep going. So how was the conference? So the conference was great. I will she tell you. That, hang on, hang on. I, you said that in the most unenthusiastic. You said the words the the conference was great. So was because great? what I'm trying to get at is that the conference is not what the amazing part of that weekend was. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. So while it was great, and honestly, I was about four feet from Maria Shriver for a really long time, um, and I got presented a surprise award, and, you know, all of that was just incredible and amazing. But the part that really was amazing was meeting a team of women who I've been working with for a year or more, and one of whom I was standing on stage with when the two of us were of the five top performers of 2017 for the whole year. And like seeing her receive the award was more emotional and incredible than being there myself. And then I got to pal around with these women and get to know them more and be like, I did this. Like I, I created this thing where people could have businesses and they could flourish and feel empowered and part of a bigger community and a mission for better things. And it was, um, all of the things I've kind of really wanted in life and tangentially not been able to grasp. I don't know if the audience knows this. I think you know this, Sarah, but in college, I minored in women's studies and I graduated. I had this like, um, notion in my head. So first of all, my degree is super weird and niche. I have an English degree, which is what I put on paper for my resume. But my um, concentration is in cultural criticism. And so most of the papers that I wrote in college were specific to culture and feminism and how, um, for example, 90% of the advertisements in magazines are belittling women in order to get you to buy their product, right? So like, that's cultural criticism. So when I graduated college, I had this odd 
insane <laughs> notion in my head that with my English degree and with this minor that I was just going to like jump into being the next um, big Gloria Steinem, right? Like I was going to write all these powerful pieces and people were going to know my name and I was going to be incredible and awesome. And of course, I was a nobody. And when I was interviewing at Ms. Magazine, I was informed that the position would be responsible for getting people coffee. And at the time, I had four years work experience because I worked full time while I went to college. And I was like, this is not breaking the glass ceilings. Like, this is the opposite <laughs> of breaking glass ceilings. I don't want to do this. So I set about having a career and I, I did that. I, I work in an industry where women executives represent about 20%. And I myself not only have a great job, but I have an employer who respects me and who values my voice. And I I feel passion for the work that I do. And I feel like I did bust through a glass ceiling and I hopefully paved a way for women to follow that path behind me. But I never directly did the thing that I really wanted to do, which was really find a way to empower women other than myself for a greater cause. And so when I was at this conference and we were sitting at a dinner table and I was looking at 24 women sitting around this table, all from every different walk of life. I mean, of course, we have things in common, but all ages, all ethnicities, all sizes, sitting around a table talking about how being part of the team had impacted their lives for the for the better. I mean, there was one woman who said that she was in a deep postpartum depression and that being part of something bigger literally pulled her out of the depression in a way that nothing wow. else could. Um, there were women who talked about they were able to afford buying a vacation property for their family where they envisioned their grandchildren running on the land. Like there were things, I just was bawling. Do you know what I mean? Like I just was sitting there crying, like I am part of something bigger and I have helped other women find their power and their voice and be part of a mission that matters. And it's super cliche. <laughs> it's like, I get that it's super cliche, but it was the most amazing feeling. And um, I'm really so grateful that that's an experience that I get to have and also that I'm going to keep having like it's just the start for me so I'm I'm really uh, passionate about that which is why when you said how was the conference I'm like I mean it was it was fine I just watched Maria Shriver I mean it was no big deal let me tell you about this other thing <laughs> yeah I've, I mean it was um now I, I get that I get the response now it sounds like um I mean it sounds amazing and I am you know, as a person who I've been able to watch your uh, passion and not just for, you know, this sort of paleo niche, but this passion for just making the world better and making people's lives better in a much bigger sense than, uh, you know, finding a healthier diet. I've been able to watch that uh, in you for years. And uh, it's really, really wonderful to be able to see that crystallize for you in such a um, meaningful way. So, um, so cool. Thanks. Yes, I'm, I am feeling cool. With that said, um, I was feeling really cool when I submitted this question to the Paleo View box. <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned last week that uh, we were going to get a little crunchy granola this week. And I, I'm just going to jump into it. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. 
So here's, here's the thing is I have been personally feeling very connected and affected by lunar cycles. And that is a weird thing for me to say out loud. And I warned Matt that I was going to say that on the show. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel very strongly in science. But also, like, the moon is a scientific thing. So let's just put that out there for a minute. And um, so I personally started doing a little bit of research. And um, I found more support of it potentially being linked to mood and hormone than I expected to find, which made me take a little like, okay, I'm not super, (laughs) super crunchy granola over the edge. Woo woo. Um, But what, um, what was interesting to me is as much as I found articles that talked about how women's cycles, i.e. sex hormones, which we all know is connected to so many other things are affected by the lunar cycle and the moon affects bodies of water, i.e. the tides and humans are made up of water. Then it was just as much information about how it's ridiculous for the moon to affect anything. And, and so I went to my trusty nerd friend, Sarah, (laughs) and I said, can you help me please? Because I believe I went, yeah, okay. No, that's not true. I think you went, hey, that's kind of fun. Um, Because we often talk about things that are pretty serious when it comes to science and things that are, you know, hard to walk the line with, you know, I'm going to say woo-woo and I say that in a loving way because I myself am crunchy granola woo-woo. So those of you hearing that, don't take offense. But we, we walk this fine line between when when do you when do you cross when do you cross the line when does it become too much when are you no longer being supported by science and i personally could just not figure it out myself and i know how i'm feeling and i don't know that anything you're going to say is going to change that um and i think that there's so much that we don't know um about the what's happening in space and how it affects us things that we don't even know yet that, you know, the next generation is going to find out in terms of what's out there and, and all that kind of stuff. And so to me, no matter what you say, I'm not necessarily like a hundred percent drinking the Kool-Aid, but I am super curious to know what the science does or doesn't support as it relates to how the moon affects humans. That's my question. For Dr. Okay. Sarah Ballantyne. I so want Matt to like edit in like the X-Files theme song right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just think now is like the perfect time for that. Um, well, actually, what's really interesting about um, research into how lunar cycles are impacting human behavior and physiology is there actually is like more interest in this field uh, sort of in the last few years. I mean, there are studies that go back a few decades, but just in the last five to 10 years, there's actually more researchers who are really trying to identify what's called a circulunar cycle and what might be driving it. And so it it stems from, you know, we understand uh, circadian rhythm, which is our 24-hour 
cycle, you know, related to the day. We understand circadian rhythm very well. We understand that circadian rhythm is driven by the clock gene. So we have this internal clock in the suprachiasmatic nucleus of the hypothalamus, right, of this region of of the brain uh, where we have this uh, central clock like Greenwich Mean Time. And uh, that is set by what are called zeitgebers. So these are external stimuli that set our internal clock, uh, the light-dark cycle being the most important zeitgeber. Um, and that this clock then syncs with um, uh, little miniature clocks, you know, genetic clocks in every single cell in our body through the regulation of hormones, melatonin and cortisol being the two most important circadian rhythm hormones that help just sync the clock in our brain with the clocks in every single cell in the rest of our body. So we have this really strong understanding, including right what's happening really at a molecular level in terms of um, you know, the body keep keeping track of, you know, 24 hours. And it's, it's really phenomenal how that system works. And then we also understand seasonal variation fairly well. So we understand, um, you know, that there are changes in physiology and behavior in the winter compared to the summer. We, of course, see this really, really strongly in hunter-gatherer populations. They sleep less in the summer than in the winter, um, their uh, social structure is a little bit different. So there tends to be certain times of the year where um, there's a, a, a spike in, in babies being born, for example. So we have seasonal variation. There's seasonal variation in um, body composition very naturally in hunter-gatherers, right, tending to put on more weight in the fall to have um, a higher stored energy before the winter, right? So we have a variety of things that we can understand in terms of seasonal variation. But we don't really understand circulunar rhythms. However, um, there are very, very strong circulunar rhythms in marine animals. So um, this is where sort of the observations start is observations of coral, for example, uh, various types of uh, you know, worms, um, flies, um, sea urchins, uh, several different types of fish. And we can see a very, very strong lunar rhythm. So it's a, it's a um, rhythm on a 29.5 day cycle. Um, sometimes it's a um, half. So it's called a circa semilunar <laughs> rhythm. So it's actually sort of from full moon to new moon. So it's a 14.3 quarter, you know, 14.75 day cycle. So there's a variety of different things in terms of um, spawning, in terms of um, uh, gonad growth in the sea urchin, for example. Um, there's, um, <laughs> I have I have there's I have so many species names in front of me that I can't even pronounce. Um, but we see these we see these really, really strong reproductive cycles in that are driven by the lunar cycle in marine animals. And what's really interesting is that research is starting to identify some genetic candidates that might be the internal clock for these marine animals, especially in corals, for keeping track of this circulunal 
lunar cycle. So the idea is that it's completely analogous to circadian rhythms in the sense that it's some kind of genetic machinery that is keeping track of the time and that is being influenced by external factors. So similar to we have the clock genes and then our Zeitgebers are basically helping to set those clock genes so we know whether it's daytime or nighttime. That the idea is that the phase of the moon would be the external stimulus uh, to tell this, you know, circulunar, uh, you know, moon gene or whatever it is, what, you know, what time of the lunar month it is so that it, the, that particular system is being constantly tuned to the lunar cycle, even though it's generally keeping track of it on its own. So we know, for example, that if you take um, uh, a mammal who, who, you know, a human or, or a lab animal out of a normal day-night cycle, so you put them in bright light for 24 hours or dark for 24 hours, it takes quite a bit of time before the circadian rhythm really gets uh, offset. And we continue to calc- we continue to go by a 24-hour clock. It just tends to slide compared to what's going on outside. So the idea is, you know, that's probably happening in these uh, marine species as well. So there's actually a fairly good foundation of science in terms of mechanism and um, the just the molecular and cellular mechanics of it for understanding something called circulunar rhythms. But when you start looking at a lot of the um, behaviors or physiology changes in humans that have over time been like reported to like fertility, like birth rates, like um, car accidents, like people in the emergency rooms, right? Like there's all of these, uh, you know, we, we are a, a species that has, uh, you know, had a lot of mythology around the moon, a lot of reverence for the moon for probably most of human history. And we've got all of these myths, right? Like, oh, it must be a full moon, right? That's that's <laughs> that's a common human phrase to explain um, a bunch of bad luck or crazy behavior or you know something out of the ordinary happening. But there have been some really rigorous um, studies that have tried to look at whether or not there is a correlation between, so for example, birth rate and phase of the moon. And for example, there was there was analysis from the early 2000s that literally looked at 70 million birth records, which is a very, 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 very high statistical sample and found no correlation between birth rate and lunar phase. Uh, we see the same thing with fertility. We have a menstrual cycle that um, does actually match very closely to the lunar cycle in terms of days, which makes you think that there could very likely be something there. But there's actually no correlation between, a, you know, someone's uh, specific, specific uh, menstrual cycle and lunar rhythms. Like we can't, there's not a, you know, women don't, uh, necessarily sync with the moon. We're not all having our, our cycles during the full moon. That's that's just not. We're, we're more likely to sync with the other women in our household due to pheromones than we are to sync to um, something as external as the moon. So, um, so when you look at a lot of these, or, or pretty much all of these sort of rumored 
um, behavioral or physiological changes that are linked to the moon, um, they've all been, you know, basically debunked with scientific studies, uh, with the exception of um, there are some studies in schizophrenia showing a small increased um, uh, risk of violence or aggressive episodes during the full moon. It's sort of a, a 1% to 2% effect, so it's a, it's a very small effect, but there does seem to be some, some, some you know, statistical power there. And there's also maybe a correlation in um, epilepsy showing higher numbers of seizures um, when the sky is brighter. So it's actually not necessarily during the full moon, but but there's something to to do with uh, a bright night sky. Um, And that may have something to do with the fact that um, photosensitivity is is part of part of epilepsy. So there, there are some little bits and pieces where the statistics are potentially really interesting. There was a really fascinating um, study done uh, just a few years ago. I think it was 2013 that took, um, took people and did sleep studies and actually showed that there was an effect of um, lunar cycle on sleep quality. So, for example, um, people were getting um, – more deep sleep during the full moon, but studies that repeated and tried to replicate that data from 2014 and 2015 um, either didn't show any effect or actually showed uh, the opposite effect. So that doesn't look like it's probably a real thing. But one of the things that's really interesting about this is if, if, so all of the science shows that it's actually not tidal effects on on humans. Um, we are an incredibly small amount of of, of water. So um, I want to to draw the comparison between like the tides that we experience in oceans versus the tides that we experience in the largest lakes in the world. So uh, Lake Superior, the largest lake in the world, Great Lake, on the um, uh, border between America and Canada. Its tides due to the moon are about three centimeters. That's how much that huge body of water moves in response to to the moon. Um, So we really only see tidal effects when gravity is a very, very weak force. We only see tidal effects with these massive, massive, massive bodies of water, the oceans. Um, We are nearly... Like we are, I mean, I, I I don't even know how many billions of people you could stack into the, the, the um, Lake Superior. Like it's, at, we are such a ridiculously small fraction of that amount of water um, that it's it's almost certainly not a tidal effect on us. Um, and all of the studies that have been done on circulunar rhythms in marine creatures have actually looked at this being a night, um, a light the amount of light at night <laughs> that rhymes. I'm, I'm speaking like Dr. Seuss now, but it actually has to do with the, the, the signal of moonlight to the body. And that makes a little bit of sense in the sense that, you know, we don't, you know, just uh, physiology in general, we tend not to, um, we, we tend not to evolve useless things. We tend to have as many things that can multitask in our bodies as possible. You think of cortisol as being this important uh, circadian rhythm hormone, but then it's also our fight or flight hormone. 
Um, you think of insulin. I'm writing an article on insulin now. We know that it's super important for getting glucose into our cells, but it also is an important signaling molecule for bone remodeling, an important signaling molecule for uh, muscle repair, and it's an important um, stimulator of thyroid function, and it's really, really important for uh, memory and learning. So it has all of these effects that are separate from glucose metabolism. We have so many functions in our body that are multitaskers, it makes a lot of sense that our photoreceptors would be multitaskers as well. And so um, and so the, the zeitgeber of circulunar rhythms seems to be moonlight. Now, of course, we have completely messed up how our body detects moonlight. Like it's bad enough of how much we've messed up our circadian rhythms, which is a much, much stronger rhythm by uh, spending so much time inside, having lights on in the evenings, um, all of the screen displays around us. You know, our our inside lights are too dim to replicate sunlight, but are much, much, much too bright to replicate evening light. And that's one of the main reasons why we've lost our seasonal variation in Western countries, because we don't vary the length of our day any anymore. Um, and and we know that indoor lighting is, is a major uh, a contributor to sleep disruption because it just it's not bright enough to be the sun. And then in the evening, it's, it's too bright to be night. So, for example, um, I, I have in front of me like a table that's I'm not I, these are not numbers I have off the top of my head. But uh, direct sunlight is between 400 and 130,000 lux. So like a light therapy box is 10,000 lux. That seems to be sort of the minimum needed to get that really strong circadian rhythm entrenchment. Um, The moon, like a full, full moon, is 0.25 lux. So this is many, many, many orders of magnitude dimmer than, than the sun. Um, starlight is about 0.0001 lux. Um, a half moon is 0.025 lux. So we have this, in- we're, we're supposed to have this incredibly dim light signal in the evenings that is fluctuating, you know, from, you know, about a hundred times over, over the month from a new moon to a full moon. So if you're getting just starlight because there is no moon, um, that's even more. That's, you know, from 0.0001 to 0.25 in the full moon. So that's a really big difference. But just to compare it to some of the other light signals that we've we've made, you know, indoor lighting is typically between 200 and 300 lux. So again, not enough to even be match the sun on its dimmest day. Street lights or heavy traffic is about 75 lux. So, you know, a couple hundred times um, brighter than moonlight. The screens from your smartphone or from your tablet would be between 30 and 50 lux. And just think about all of the little the little bits of light, the, you know, not just night lights, but things like the um, LED charging light on anything in your bedroom, the street light outside, the um, security lights from your neighbors. We have so many sources of light now that we're never in a nighttime environment where moonlight is actually a, a detectable signal. We've made our nighttime so bright compared to 
what the moon is actually doing that it, it we just we don't have the ability to sync with it anymore so we've probably completely destroyed our ability to uh study circulunar rhythms in humans even on these broad scales like looking at uh birth rates and and lunar cycles because we've probably completely messed up um our internal sort of uh, circulunar clocks that are biological clocks that are keeping track of the lunar cycles. So from a standpoint of like where the science is now, there's some really neat stuff happening in marine animals, including identifying genetics in terms of uh, what could be driving these internal clocks that relate to not just the 24 hour day, but the 29.5 day lunar cycle. Um, but the data in humans is mostly, you know, that there's no effect, but that might be because we've completely masked it with our wonderful man-made lights. So uh, at this point, uh, kind of kind of some cool, hopefully cool new discoveries to be made. And I don't know what the implications for human health would be. I mean, certainly we understand that when we live in a way that's really mismatched with our environment that causes um, a, a biological strain that can lead to disease. I mean, that's what, um, you know, these nutrient poor high sugar diets are. That's what high stress jobs and being indoors and not being active and living, you know, socially isolated lives, but trying to make up for that with Facebook. I mean, that's what our, our modern society really is. It's really a mismatch from what um, our our biology and physiology is really in tune to to live with, like where we're supposed to have a nutrient dense whole foods, you know, diet that's that's moderate glycemic load. We're supposed to get lots of sleep and sleep in sync with the sun. We're supposed to have strong social bonds. We're supposed to be active all day, um, and we're not supposed to have chronic stress. We're only supposed to have periodic bouts of acute stress. So that that's what we're really designed for um how you know as we discover more about circulunar cycles it's unclear how that would inform what we can do in our modern lives to make up for it so right now we can eat a nutrient focused paleo or ancestral inspired diet we can have a, a rigid bedtime we can practice sleep hygiene we can spend some time outside we can take activity breaks during the day or work at a treadmill desk or something similar. We can um, intentionally nurture uh, relationships. You know, we can make choices that sort of go counterculture in terms of um, where our society is, but where we really need to have our diet and lifestyle choices to, to be optimally healthy. In terms of circulatory rhythms, it's unclear what we could do about it, given how challenging it is to get rid of nighttime light. And it's also unclear of how big the effect would be in terms of supporting our overall health. So what I heard you say is that you think <laughs> I'm a little woo woo. I mean, you try to like save it at the end there and, you know, give some hope to the future, but ultimately you're saying water, no bueno. Cycle, not linked to the moon. Um, so 
I am saying that there's evidence <laughs> that circulunar cycles are a real thing, but they are driven by nighttime light, not tidal forces. So that's interesting. Um, I guess so. When you're talking about how we aren't getting the benefit of it because of the different sources of light that we have, yet marine animals, for example, have shown changes. I, Where I shake out on that, and obviously you're sharing this information with me now, so it's not like I've had a lot of time to process it, but it makes me feel like the data that we're using is already skewed to know what the difference is. Kind of like if you are trying to decide if a paleo diet works, but you never remove everything, how can you tell for sure that the inflammation is going to fully be reduced, right? So it's like, what I'm telling you is that I still believe that the moon makes me (laughs) super emo. That's what I'm telling you. (laughs) And I will justify it until... I am believed by everybody. (laughs) So population studies don't bear that out. That being said, um, you know, it's it. I I started off by saying the the moon is something that we have these the strong cultural bond with and a cultural bond to something can be a driving force. So I've always like loved the full moon. Like there's something about the full moon to me that it's just so beautiful and it makes me feel really, really good. So I actually feel more emo when the moon's not there. So I have the complete opposite uh, reaction to the moon, but I think it's a, uh, just a psychological association for me. I'm not saying that's what it is for you. It could totally be tidal forces, Stacey. I'm just, I'm just, for me, I think it's a psychological association of like, I see the moon, it's beautiful. It just creates a sense of peace inside me because it's such a beautiful thing to look at. And I've enjoyed looking at the moon for my entire life. So there's something about seeing the full moon that's very meditative for me. And so I I tend to associate, you know, positive, happy, you know, calm type feelings with the full moon. But I, I understand I that you're bringing your rationalism to this and that's appreciated. <laughs> I also understand that there are people who are going to bathe their crystals in the moonlight and think that something happens. I'm not sure. I haven't figured that mechanism out yet. Um, and I'm not there, <laughs> but I personally have had like a lot of cathartic nights and later determined that that was a full moon. So perhaps it is deep in my conscience or, you know, I saw it and, and got emotional and didn't remember that I saw it or something. But um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting old and more emotional and it just happens to coincide with full moons. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, but I appreciate the levity and thoughtfulness that you put towards it. Um, it's, it's interesting about the, the cycle thing, I guess maybe do you have more information to go into depth to that? Cause I feel like you said it's tied to, um, to a cycle, but not necessarily the lunar cycle. And so, so what did I miss there? 
I, I mean, so what's really interesting is that the okay, so here's here's getting into some cool physics. The moon is actually getting farther away from us. So in the earliest phases of life on Earth, the moon was actually closer. So um, the moon's, you know, the light at night was was brighter. Uh, tidal forces were stronger. And it's quite possible that because it was just a stronger, you know, physical force, a stronger light signal at night, that it had a very, very big impact on uh, sort of evolution. And that's why you see these circulunar cycles. There's some researchers who believe that these circulunar cycles are not uh, preserved through the entire uh, phylogenetic tr or phylogenic tree. So they believe that, um, you know, things when you look at these marine creatures that for sure have circulunar cycles like corals, you know, our most common ancestor to them is, you know, many millions of years back. So the idea that it's possible that they have a circulunar cycle and it's not preserved in humans. And that's one of the reasons why the research right now is really focused on identifying the genetic machinery that could be driving um, that that internal clock that is keeping track of the 29.5 day lunar cycle in those uh, types of life. And then once those genes are identified in, you know, coral and sea urchins and whatever, then we can look for preserved genetic analogs in humans. And once you can identify the, the similar genes in humans, then you can start to really understand uh, a circulunar cycle in humans a lot better than what you can with these big population studies because you can manipulate the system. So when, once you know what system to manipulate. So um, so right now the state of research is is you know the the data in terms of like does the full moon impact behavior? Does it make us more aggressive? Does it make us more emotional? Does it make us more accident prone? Um, does it make us more, more likely to give birth? Um, does it impact the stock market? Does it impact how people vote in an election? I mean, all of these things have been suggested. And other than um, the data in schizophrenics, there there really hasn't there you know all of those things have been sort of debunked in in scientific literature. And it may be that bigger studies looking at um, schizophrenia and other mental illness may also show that that was an artifact. When you talk about a one or two percent um, change, that can very easily be due to a statistical error. So it, it's it you really need to when you have a one or two percent effect, you really need a very very large sample size in order to be 100% sure that's not a um, artifact of your statistics. So the best place and the, the most hope for really understanding if there is some kind of link between human physiology and human behavior and the lunar cycle is not actually in these big population studies. It's not actually looking at can you detect a spike in births during the full moon or spikes in motorcycle fatalities during the full moon. That's not actually the place to look right now. The place to look is this much more basic understanding the mechanisms of the very, very well-defined circulunar rhythms in corals and sea urchins and some species of fish 
and then try to identify if those pathways were preserved through evolution into mammals and into us. So I don't know if that answered your question, but hopefully it clarified a little bit. It did. Yeah. And, um, I'm, (laughs) I'm still, I'm still over here. Like, but I'm a special snowflake and I'm telling you, (laughs) um, you know, it's interesting. This is a complete aside because, you know, we're wrapping up usual than early. Uh, we're wrapping up earlier than usual. So I'll give you, I'll give you a little gift here. Um, my mom moved to Virginia beach and she listens to this podcast and she's going to totally deny that this is the truth. Cause she won't admit that this is why we moved to Virginia beach. But I specifically remember 20 years ago, um, that she wanted to be near the Edgar Casey Foundation in Virginia Beach. And I don't know if you guys know what that is, but Edgar Casey was someone who um, saw the future. And I remember going to like all these stores at the beach in middle school and high school that um, catered to you know, hippies. I mean, it's not like a dirty word. That's what I called myself growing up. Like I made my own clothes and I didn't shower. (laughs) Like it just, I smelled like patchouli. That was high school. And so it's really interesting to me to kind of have a full circle moment here um, where I'm bridging the gap and reconciling in my head all of the things that I so strongly believe about science and all of the things that I think are very clearly not a reality that I can support with science. And then like finding this thing in the middle where things make sense to me in my brain and I just haven't yet found the support or the science for it. And so I'm going to continue to say that I'm going to be on on moon science watch. (laughs) I'm not putting this one to rest yet. Um, crystals, not so much. Like I'm not, (laughs) not going there, but, um, I don't know, man, me and the moon, we're having a connection lady lately. I mean, fair enough. Uh, as, as I've said, the, the science isn't in on this. So, I mean, I have my opinions and I'm pretty sure our listeners know what they are from hearing to me speak the last half hour, but it's I, not I, very I, often. And I'm telling you, like I texted Matt while he, while we were doing the podcast, I texted Matt who's in the house and I was like, Sarah's telling me I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I'm glad because he, <laughs> he he's feels also a very rooted in scientific evidence. He does even more than you do. Like, let me just tell you, sometimes he feels like you could take a stronger stance on some things. And so um, he was happy to hear that you are not finding science to support my, my belief lately. I've been making decla- declaratory statements like, well, the moon's out. <laughs> you know, he's just like, stop it, stop it. And it's become kind of like a joke at this point. I, I do have to admit that as I was doing the research for this, my husband was also making very similar jokes so about like why why am i reading something that's that's not true so he because he's a he's an astrophysicist so he he you know 
he feels like he has a fairly good understanding of, um, you know, various astronomical bodies and their impact on life on earth. And so he, I do have to admit that he was, he was making his, his own little snide remarks. You know, I thought you were, I thought you like covering, you know, science in your podcast. Not, none of that. I was like, I am reading a scientific <laughs> article in like frontiers in neurology. That's a real paper. All right. Well, I- please tell him that it is my respect for those astrological no astronomical exactly astronomical bodies (laughs) not get those two words mixed up in this house Uh, yes exactly um it's my respect for them that drives this interest and passion and um as he knows the science is not entirely conclusive on everything yet and so I just needed I I just needed to know how much wiggle room I had to, to believe this thing that's fun for me to believe right now. I mean, I'm holding up my fingers and they're pretty close together and I'm saying this much. <laughs> they're pretty close together, but there is a there is a gap between them. All right, listeners. <laughs> I need you to give me a little emotional support on this one. Whether or not it's the moon cycles or something else, maybe you're super superstitious about four-leaf clovers and walking under ladders and black cats. Whatever it is, we can all have our things. And I just, I need a little emotional support because I feel like Sarah and Matt are making fun of me. All right. So I encourage our listeners to comment either on the show notes on our websites or on our social media posts about this Uh, episode and share your particular superstitions, whether that has to do with the moon or lunar cycles or (laughs) leprechauns or any of the above. I feel like there's going to be two quotes for this show and one's going to be you saying, no, Stacey. (laughs) The other (laughs) quote's going to be like, do you also believe in (laughs) make-believe? Those are, yes, those are the quotes for the show. Those, those are the shareables right there. We, (laughs) we, we hit on it. It's All right. Well, clearly <laughs> it's getting late and I'm getting delirious, but it's been a fun show. Thank you for indulging me. As always, listeners, if you've enjoyed our podcast, the best thing you can do for us is to share it with people in your life and leaving a review. However, you are listening to the show in iTunes um, or wherever else. And we appreciate you coming and being with us this week as always. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. I, I just I just think that if John Lovett and I met in real life, we would be best friends. This is all I'm saying. And I think it's really funny that I have this massive girl crush on a podcaster when I've had so many other like podcast listeners come up to me and tell me how they feel like they know me so well and that they feel like if we just lived in the same city, we'd be besties. But then I have this exact same experience for a <laughs> podcast host or a podcast that I listen to. And I just know, I know that if we, he happens to live in LA and that's really far away from Atlanta, but I know that if we just met in real life, we would totally be besties. I just, I know it. I know it. It's just a thing. I know okay, this, this time just can smile first. I was smiling. Oh, smile, 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 smile bigger.
Smile with your heart. Smile more. I don't have a heart. Have you seen it? It's black and small. Oh, <laughs> it doesn't cool. like hugs. I wanna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm sending your heart. Like, oh my a gosh. Warm blanket. I have it's to just tell like you. A warm blanket to wrap around it. I met so many people at the beauty counter conference, and all of them are like, "I'm not gonna hug you." And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, it's just a ploy for the internet, guys. It's fine. You can <laughs> hug me." You wanted it to be a real thing. I mean, it is a real thing. I didn't want it to be. It is. You just haven't found the science yet. Sorry, I couldn't finish saying it. I tried. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.